Easy. Ja, ja! Daar is Klaassen. Hello, it's podcast 62 from Football Arania, your home of Dutch football. I'm Michael Statham, and today I'm with special guest Paul Thomas Clay, who's a commentator from Norway, including commentating on Dutch football. He'll actually be at Rosenborg against PSV this week, one of the big ties in the Europa League involving Dutch clubs. There's also RZ against Manchester United, Feyenoord against Porto, and in the Champions League, Valencia against Ajax. We'll be talking about all of the Dutch clubs involved there, plus a look to the provisional squad ahead of the Netherlands uh, qualifiers against Northern Ireland and Belarus, plus some Eredivisie chat and answering your questions sent in on Twitter. You're listening to us via SoundCloud, iTunes, YouTube, Football Nation Radio. Make sure you hit the like button if there is one and subscribe wherever you are. We hope you enjoy. Paul, it's really good to have you back on the Football Down Your Podcast. Um, how, how are you faring? Uh, I'm fine, actually. Uh, there's a lot of things on the plate right now. I'm, uh, after this podcast, I'm going to uh, France or, or, or in the virtual world, going to France uh, doing the Marseille-Rennes game. But uh, I've been uh, busy with uh, all my games in uh, Holland and France and um, all over Europe, actually. So... It's, uh, it's been an exciting start to the season. Well, you're clearly a very busy man um, and it's great to get you back on Football Dania. And I think the first thing we should start talking about on this podcast is the Valencia against Ajax Champions League match. Ajax, of mm. course, getting that win over Lille, um, a 3-0 win in the Champions League first round. And uh, Valencia beating Chelsea. Have you seen much of Valencia, Paul, in your extensive sort of commentary and what what do you make of this Spanish team? I, I did watch them uh, a bit more uh, a couple of seasons ago because I did uh, the La Liga commentary uh, back then but um, I've, I've been following the uh, the start of the season and I've uh, watched the troubles from from the outside. I think well, Valencia is, uh, is uh, something uh, really <laughs> What should I say? Uh, special in this football is a badly run club, but they get results uh, uh, every now and then. And then they're in the Champions League, so it's uh, hard to sort of uh, criticize them too much. But uh, the way they sacked Marcelino and uh, and uh, the players' response to it tells you quite a lot. Um, but they've uh, gotten some uh, good results lately, so so it's, it's going to be a difficult match for Ajax, I think. Sure, yeah. Uh, Valencia currently sitting mid-table in La Liga. And it's always going to be a difficult game for Ajax against one of the biggest Spanish teams. Is this an opportunity, though, for Ajax to get, get another result? They played really well against Lille and they showed again the qualities that we saw in last season's Champions League. Admittedly, but, but, yes, they are without Dion De Ligt, uh, the, the sort of heartbeat of that team from last season. But they're starting to click, aren't they? This new look Ajax team. Definitely, and I, I've been I've been impressed about uh, about how they got about their business and and uh, actually using uh, both uh, Alvarez and uh, Martinez in in midfield, uh, which were um, brought in uh, to cover for the Licht, uh, I believe, um, or in part at least. 
uh, and um, shows you the flexibility of Ten Hag, I think, how he um, manages uh, his resources in in uh, in his squad. Um, switching from a 4 uh, 4 3 3 to a 4 2 3 1 uh, more, more or less uh, so it, it, i've been really impressed about uh, how they uh, start the season and, and they're starting to sort of find their um, shape uh, uh, with the with the new place in in the area of they've been very busy beating Fortuna Sittard and Groningen 5-0 and 2-0 respectively. However, in mm. Europe, against Lille in particular, even though they were at home, they did give away quite a lot of chances, despite yeah. playing that Martinez-Alvarez midfield, which you were talking about. Do you still mm. have concerns that this Ajax team might not be tight enough? I think they have come a long way, by the way, since the qualifiers of the Champions League, where they did look a little bit... Um, all over the place, for the want of a kinder word, there mm. there, there was a, a really soft middle in terms of their centre backs, and whenever balls were put into the area, there was trouble. And do Valencia have the threats that might cause Ajax some harm? Uh, oh, oh yeah, in, in the mountains, uh, I think yeah, Valencia on the day is is a fantastic team. They will, will really be have to be on the on top of the game to to sort of um, uh, keep them at bay. I think um, uh, Rodrigo scoring at Stamford Bridge, uh, for example, uh, Maxi Gomez that they brought in from uh, Celta Vigo is. Uh, um, an excellent player. They got uh, Parejo in uh, midfield. Ferran Torres. Uh, I don't know if Carlos Ler will be playing, but they, they got a lot of quality all over. I think. Um, but uh, they, they can be heaven and they can be hell. <laughs> Valencia. You never know what, which one you will get. Uh, so um, they're very much up and down. Um, so if Ajax can be tight on uh, on the defensive end, they, I think they will uh, fare well. I, I think they will uh, get one point at least. That's a very uh, optimistic view of how you think Ajax will get on. Um, I hope you're right because Ajax certainly hold the Netherlands' best chance of getting far in Europe again this season. Um, yeah, this is it's a big game for them and this is before they play Chelsea twice next month. Do you think mm. that this could be a sort of make-or-break fixture in terms of qualifying for the next round? I think there's a lot to get from those Chelsea games. I think uh, it's a possible four or six points in that uh, in those in that double fixture. So uh, I'm not. I'm not um, uh, putting too much into the Valencia game, but but the way I saw them play against Lille, uh, I thought they were uh, fantastic. They they weren't three um, 0 up in all those in the chances created and shots on goal and stuff like that. They, they were quite effective actually uh, in that game, so it's a bit flattering uh, result uh, with the three 0 win. But but the way. They um, fought out and that, that match, I think, was uh, uh, was uh, great to see. Yeah, they, they rose to the occasion and they um, sort of uh, put, put a lot more heart into it, I think, than I've seen them done in quite a few of the Eredivisie games, where, where it's more sort of uh, business as usual, there's nothing special to them. They, uh, 
they win without too much trouble and um, so it's just an ordinary day at the office playing air division games but they really showed themselves against Lille and I think they will do that again at uh, Mestaya. Sure thing, yeah. I agree. Ajax have certainly been a lot more comfortable in their Eredivisie this season. Again, is that because Ajax are too strong or the others too weak? Then that's up to opinion. I think it's maybe a little bit of both. But yeah, uh, a big fixture for Ajax, but not the only one for Dutch clubs in Europe this week. Another look <laughs> at uh, PSV then. So they are in the Europa League this week playing away at Rosenborg, a Norwegian team. Yeah. Who better to ask than, than yourself? <laughs> uh, I've actually watched more Eredivisie games than uh, than uh, Norwegian league uh, this uh, this season. Or, um, well, the, in Norway we play uh, um, uh, spring autumn series, so it's, it's uh, we don't play uh, so um, a season which is starts in the autumn. We start in in March and end in November. So, so so we're almost at the end of the season actually in Norway. Uh, Rosenborg had started badly. They had a, a quite a good run uh, a, a while back, but they reverted to their to the to the to the bad start. The tendencies from the bad start really. They they, they weren't good yesterday against uh, Brann from uh, Bergen. And they, uh, they have uh, problems, uh, and I think they will have huge problems against PSV. So you think it'll be a very comfortable evening for PSV? Uh, who do you think will cause cause Rosenborg the biggest threat? Obviously, uh, uh, the goal scoring man is uh, Donil Mal. <laughs> He's been uh, fantastic this this year. Um, uh, of course. Uh, um, uh, the pacey wingers uh, is is going to cause problems. Uh, there are quite a few weak points uh, at Rosenborg, so there's uh, a lot of opportunities for for PSV in that game. Um, but then again, it's, it's up to PSV not to under underestimate uh, Rosenborg because they also know how to play European games and and uh, sort of bring out their best when the floodlights are on and uh, in the European nights. Uh, so so um, uh, they got threats themselves. So um, um, PSV must, must play, uh, uh, maybe not at their very best, but they, uh, they, they can't um, go easy on Rosenborg, I think. Okay, yeah, sure. And I think we'll touch upon Daniel Marlin a little bit more later in this podcast when we talk about the Netherlands squad. Uh, another fixture we've got to look forward to this week is Feyenoord against Porto. Um, let's talk a little bit more about Feyenoord. H how have you found them this season? Because they've been stuttering quite a lot, haven't they? It were, before today, uh, we're recording on a Sunday, by the way, if you're listening, we, they, they had only two wins from seven games. At the same time, only one defeat. But a 5-1 win over Twente this weekend. That's quite the response from Jarp Stam's men and a big result before the Porto game. Uh, and it will give them a massive confidence boost, I think. Uh, as I wrote in the predictions on, on your website before this uh, round, I... <laughs> I uh, I wrote that the uh, Stam should have uh, got more out of his players, and and today they really delivered the goods. Um, five one uh, was it? 
in the in the end. Uh, yeah, five one against Chelsea. I think it's it's a massive result for them. It would be a huge confidence boost ahead of uh, next game. However, they have got the deficiencies at the moment, haven't they, Feyenoord? Uh, yeah, I haven't, I haven't uh, watched all their games, but I, I, I'm not sure sure where the where the where the main problem is uh, really. But uh, because they got uh, good players in in most of the positions, uh, is I think it's a lack of effort or uh, um, what, what should I say mental. Uh, this is a mental thing for them, I, I think. Uh, yeah. they, got, they got they got talent, they got experience, they got uh, speed, strength, <laughs> yeah, everything they need to be a top team. But they haven't looked like a top team until today. Agreed. They have taken a while to get going as a team under Stam, and then once I thought it was getting going, they had a hideous performance against RZ where they lost three nil. Mm. But they did respond really well against Twenta. Oh yeah, I agree. It's perhaps a mental thing with them, and it could just be that on the day Stam said the wrong thing before he let them out onto the pitch, and they lost. Let's see now if they can keep up that kind of form that they showed against Twente today. Because if they can get those attacking players going, they're going to be a top three team again. But a difficult Listen. season awaits, I think, because uh, Orkan Kutchu, who looks so promising in midfield, he's been taken off um, quite a lot recently. He's been substituted off by Stam. Uh, that midfield is definitely the thing that seems to be the most inconsistent for Feyenoord. They have good attacking players, admittedly without a proper striker at the minute with Jorgensen out injured. A decent back 4-2, which is coming along nicely with EA developing a good partnership with Botahin. Full-backs mm. as well, are again, finding their rhythm, finding their best football. So yeah, it was a surprise to me to see Feyenoord actually stuttering at the start of this season, but maybe it is the midfield. I don't know if they quite yet know their best team. Yeah, that, that's that's my uh, take on it too. It, it's um, this is finding the, their best eleven. This is, so so it's, it's a matter of time before they they get more consistency out of their team and get more consistent results. I think. Yeah, I think there will be a top team uh, by the end of the season, but they. Um, uh, they haven't been one so far, and and uh, and they need need more than one game to sort of uh, get them out of the of the let's say slump that they're in. Uh, they need three, four, five games to sort of prove that they're all right. I think. Yeah, uh, agreed. They will get there eventually. Uh, as I keep holding that belief, let's see if they can keep it up then. There is one more game in the Europa League, which is RZ against Manchester United. However, we're not going to preview it on this podcast today because we actually have a special um, preview video, which you can find on our YouTube channel. If you're listening on other platforms such as SoundCloud, iTunes and Football Nation Radio, you know that to look on YouTube for that preview video against Manchester United, where we have a special guest there to talk all things Manchester United. The next thing we're going to talk about then on the podcast is... The provisional squad for the Netherlands. There weren't a lot of surprises from Ronald Koeman on uh, this occasion. But again, we're seeing uh, a lack of a call-up for two players in particular who Koeman is definitely trying to get tied down for the Netherlands. And they are mm -hmm. Mo Ihataren and Serginho Dest. 
I'm just going to come to one of our Twitter questions. I'm just going to get it on my phone here. It's from William. He asks, when should Ronald Koeman pull the trigger and call in Dest and Ihataran? Would the November window be ideal since there wouldn't be any competitive matches until the Euros? How great would it? How great would it, would the risk be of losing both of them if he waits until next summer or beyond? Now I don't know what you think of this, Paul. How you've made of a situation involving Ihatada and Dest, but for me personally, I know it's a risk to call players up into a competitive match squad, but he's got to get these two tied down, and it could just be that Morocco or USA pull the heartstrings of these two players and take them away from the Netherlands, when I, I think these two could be crucial for the future of the Dutch. Yeah, uh, I, I agree with you. I think uh, it's, a, it's a shame it's not done already. Yeah, either way, maybe in the case of uh, Dest especially, because he's... Uh, well, uh, well, both actually, but uh, Ihatran is, is still young. He's uh, or even younger than Dest, 17 still, and Dest 18. Um, but um, they've lost uh, sort of... Uh, originally Dutch players to uh, their um, uh, parents' homeland, like Masravi and other players. So it's, it's, it's uh, I think it's a shame that they, they, those two didn't get picked uh, this time around. They could sort of be included in the squad and if, uh, if the results are going uh, the Netherlands way, they can substitute them in and then they'll be tied down. <laughs> it's a, a sort of a low risk thing to do um, to pick them for, for a squad like uh, uh, against Northern Ireland and um, Belarus, isn't it? Isn't it? Well, the the game against Northern Ireland is a huge one and one that the Dutch really need to win. But yeah, that game against Belarus, it's a lot more winnable. Yeah. And if you just put them on the bench and bring them on for five minutes at the end, switching mm. on a right, perhaps even putting Dest on on the right wing to see out the mm. results. I think that's worth it. Just time down. Yeah, and it's it's a problem with the, the selection of international squads in in many countries. Uh, really, like 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 this one from the Netherlands is uh, you have the same issue in other countries as well. Even in Norway, with the um, players with a uh, let's say mixed background and uh, and uh, playing for their parents home country instead of the country they were born and raised in um, because of a, sort of a uh, reluctance to to call them up too early in a way um, i think uh, uh, the netherlands have lost good players that way um, before and they should learn from it and they should pick uh, Destiny Hutton right now. I, I, w I would have done so anyway. Um, like the, it's uh, these squads uh, contain 23 players, I believe, when they they are f f finalized and the, they can easily pick the 20 players that. Uh, um, that that can do the job, and they can fill up those last three spots with um, talents and uh, and and players like Destiny Hatter. And in case they uh, get the chance to sub them on and not affect the results in a way. Agreed. I I agree with you, particularly when you see the likes of Clavert still called up, Stoutman, um, Vilhena, 
uh, Harterboy, Harterboy's death sort of direct rival for that spot in the Netherlands squad. And yet he's still being called up. Yeah, you might mm. see Harterboy perhaps uh, whittled away once the final squad comes out. But even just putting them in that provisional squad sends out a signal to both those players that Kuman really wants them. I know he can talk to them as much as he wants behind closed doors and after matches uh, for Ajax and PSV, but it's not the same. I, th- I think if you give that signal and and say you're in my squad, you have a chance of being called up. Then I think that they're mm. gonna they're gonna really notice that and sit up and take notice. Definitely, and I I, I really don't understand why Coleman's done it that way, but uh, but. Uh... Uh, it's his call. It's his job, but uh, it's on. It's all. Uh, it's also on him if uh, the Netherlands lose those two players. I think. Yeah, agreed. Although we have seen in the past with Danny Blint calling up Delict at just seventeen years old and throwing him in, and it yeah, it went so wrong, didn't it? Obviously, a crucial position and throwing him from the start in a vital Euro qualifier when everything was going against the Netherlands. But yeah. Mm. That that's the other extreme in a way. <laughs> or the, uh, you shouldn't put a seventeen-year-old uh, in the central position uh, in a, in an important game like that. But but still, you can pick them up for for the squad, and you can have them on the bench, and they can sort of get to know the other guys uh, a bit, and and sort of um, feel included in 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 the squad. So it's uh, even if they don't get playing time, there's sort of uh, feel some sort of form of loyalty to the other guys in the in the national squad. So it's it's um, it's about uh, including them in 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 the in the squad, uh, not only as a player, um, but it's also social uh, social thing uh, component to this. I think. Yeah, uh, and one of the players we're also glad to see in the provisional squad, Daniel Marlin. We touched upon yeah. him briefly earlier. How have you made his start to the season? He scored eight goals in eight games for PSV in the league, but 12 goals overall already this season. An outstanding record. Is he going to be the answer to the Netherlands in attack? What do you make of his abilities? Um, I, I think I think uh, he could be a sort of uh, um, a, a new um, Huntelaar or the young for the for the next ten years is is that good a player? He could be uh, even better maybe, and it's it follows the tradition of great uh, Dutch strikers. Um, uh, I think being uh, schooled by uh, Henri at Arsenal and uh, Bergkamp at uh, Ajax is uh, is. Um, He's gotten uh, quite a good education as a striker. <laughs> um, uh, some of the best professor, professors teaching him. Um, but um, uh, he, he, he's sort of he's he's got a lot of good things going uh, going on, and he's he's not he's not extreme in a way like Mbappé is in is in France or. Uh, but but he's, he's he's very good all all round. I think he's, he's got a great set of skills, but not extreme uh, in any way. I think just uh, just that it's uh, unusual to have that to be such a complete player at that young age. I think it says a lot of the players that 
play around Marlon, that he's scoring all of these goals. The biggest difference between Marlon last season and this season is the simple fact that he's scoring loads of goals. And yeah, the positional change that he made this summer from a winger back to a striker may well have been key. Yeah, definitely. He's a striker, he's a central striker. Like I, I tried to say it with his, his next De Jong or uh, Huntelaar. He's, he's not a winger, I think. Uh, it, it, at least it is not his best position. It's, it's, he's a goal scorer. He needs to be in the middle and he's got great movement. He's got strength and, and, and speed, but uh, it's, it's the, the whole package that's, that stands out. Uh, with him I think uh, to be such a complete player at that young age I'd love to see Kuman trying a sort of two strikers in attack Marlon mm-hmm. perhaps with Memphis uh, I think, that think be... he'd work really well as a duo yeah definitely I, I, I was thinking the same when I uh, browsed through the squad just before we started recording uh, I thought that, uh, I think that would be a really good uh, uh, or potentially a really good uh, partnership. Yeah, and we'll look forward to Marlon perhaps getting a start against Northern Ireland um, next month for the Netherlands. One final thing then to talk about on this week's podcast, um, Paul, is a look to the Eredivisie. Now, normally we cover the biggest teams in the division and we look to some of the things that stand out for us in the league. But this week, let's have a little look at how the table starts at the bottom. And after eight games, RK Seyvalvaik, eight games, seven defeats. Fortuna Sittard, after eight games, only three points. It's not looking good for those two, but also Arda Den Haag, who's currently 6-16th um, in the final relegation sort of playoff spot. We had a question, actually, about Ardo, uh, And, Paul, I was wondering what you thought about this question, but also about the bottom three so far. And, oh, I've already lost the question. It's not a good start there. <laughs> but, but it was ah here we go from Grant asking what do Arden and Haag have to do to score goals uh... <laughs> well uh, there's it, one thing I can say for sure and that's having watched them lose 3-0 to Emmon the other day it's they have changed their front three recently haven't they and they're not very good Somerville's very young he's 17 years old coming from Feyenoord he needs games but it's probably not the right situation for him at Ardo and Sabiki as well, having a record low 11 touches most throughout most of the game for Ardo, which is pretty appalling. And mm-hmm. uh, Mikhail Kramer, who's is a striker who's very tall. He scored loads of goals in the past for Ardo. But yeah, he really isn't the best striker in the, in the Dutch league. And that's their problem, isn't it? It's goals. And they clearly yeah. just don't have a lineup with much quality that can deliver goals to win games. Uh, definitely, and I, I well the, the boring question and then the boring answer to the to the question that was posed to us is 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 that they need to take the chances and they uh, um, and they haven't done so uh, this this far and um, putting uh, all the responsibility on a seventeen year old is uh, is nuts I think. Uh, the, Players uh, who should be pulling the weight is, is like Kramer, as he said. Uh, I'm, I haven't been that impressed with him uh, in the past. Um, he, he has scored a, f- a few goals um, 
a few years ago, but 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 still, he, then they got good service from uh, from crosses and um, from the midfield and the and the wingers, but it, it doesn't seem to uh, work um, this season. Yeah. It's it's it's, yeah. it's it's a confidence issue as well, uh, obviously. Um, they're not. They have they've had a bad start, but then. They're uh, with the three uh, three points. The uh, next uh, next round, they they uh, will jump up for four places in the, in the table potentially, and uh, and then there's uh, another three in the in the top half. Um, so it's, it's they're in a bad uh, situation right now, but but they, um, it's, it, it it looks bleak when you look at the table and they are in the qualifying spots, but but. Uh, I think, I think uh, if they can get a good result the next round, then, then they'll um, can work on that and start building on uh, building on the uh, building on the confidence from that. But um, uh, it's, it's it's not completely uh, disastrous, but but uh, but they need to uh, work hard on scoring goals. They do, Obviously. and I, I think that their midfield is also a really weak area because they just cannot hold on to the ball and work it forwards towards their forwards. You're saying mm. about, oh, it's not disastrous so far, but we could mm. be looking at something a lot worse in five or six games' time, and it would be such a shame to lose such an established Eredivisie club. I know, obviously, it, life is a cycle and, and things must happen, and Ardo getting relegated might well be one of them. But you say about <laughs> they haven't had a disastrous start. Two sides that have Fortuna and AKSA who have not had a win between them so far. And this season, the Eredivisie has two direct relegation places, the two bottom positions. Mm. Do you think that this bottom two might stay the same throughout the season? Uh, from what I've seen so far, yes, <laughs> uh, it's it's almost expected as well, uh, isn't it? Uh, those two. I, I think that AK Save definitely are a side that will be directly re relegated back to the Erste Divisie, given how they've not really signed many Eredivisie quality players this summer. It was lucky that they got up from the playoffs last season. As for Fortuna, mm -hmm. they did really well last season, but then lost their best players that performed in the Eredivisie. They've replaced mm -hmm. them with quite a few foreign players, who so far, apart from maybe one or two, I haven't been impressed with. So I, I just can't see them turning it around. Neither of these teams, and it's, and also because the teams above those two at, at the bottom have uh, at least uh, from time to time uh, given small glimpses of of what they can do, and they they have uh, at least in certain games performed quite well. Um, so. Uh, the likes of uh, VVV and Emmen and let's oh, Pexwell and Groningen, uh, which are the closest teams uh, right now. Uh, I don't think they will be re relegated. So it's, it's, uh, uh, it's those two at the bottom will stay there, I think. Uh, and it's uh, but between those other teams that I mentioned that will uh, be about uh, avoiding the 16th place. I agree with you. I think it could even stretch as far as Hedekles or Hedenvain. Although a lot of these teams, whilst they're not at their best quality at the moment in the recent times, they are teams that can avoid the drop and just have that little bit of spark that will keep them up. I think one player, whilst I've got you here, Paul, on our podcast, that has stood out in the Eredivisie is a player that used to play in Norway. 
Um, Jidera yeah. Ajuke, the yeah. winger. Um, he's a Nigerian winger who played for. Now, I, how, how do you how do you pronounce that team? I would say Valengra. How how would you pronounce it in Norwegian? Uh, well, it's uh, I can almost see the stadium from here, uh, from my kitchen window. It's uh, uh, well, it's uh, in the Oslo dialect. It's Vordinger, <laughs> uh, which which is uh, the, in in a clean uh, Norwegian way of pronouncing it. It's Vordinger, uh, which is well, it's, uh, it's it's not that important to pronounce it correctly as long as I uh, understand what you. <laughs> <laughs> what you're saying <laughs> it's it's difficult with uh, all, um, all the languages and pronunciations uh, across uh, the footballing world uh, I, I, I work really hard on it as a commentator um, sort of get the right pronunciation uh, but it's um, it's difficult to be 100% uh, on it all the time I think it's important to have a really good idea as a commentator and but also for me in this kind of situation on, on a podcast where I don't want to pronounce a player's name wrong. And I, I think it's really important to listen into the the, um, the sort of mother tongue commentator pronouncing that player's name. And then you can replicate that because they're, they're going to know best. But also it's more authentic to, to get mm. that correct pronunciation. We, 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 we are digressing slightly here, Paul. And... Um, Chidera Ajuke, what, what have you made of him so far? Do you think he's made up the step, step up well to the Eredivisie? He scored two goals for Heerlen Vane yesterday in the win against VVV Venlo. Yeah, uh, I, I, it seems like he's settling in uh, quite well. Uh, four goals uh, this season in total, and um, uh, I think I think it's, uh, it's it's a step up for him, uh, of course, going from the Norwegian uh, league to the to the Dutch league, and Herren uh, uh, Fein is uh, is probably slightly better than the the team he left. Um, uh, so it's a step up for him. It's not a big step. It's not a huge step, but it's uh, it. it Puts him on a bigger stage, and he's, he's uh, ambitious. He's just 21 years old, and he's he's uh, um, got a lot of things, uh, a lot of strengths. I think he's, he's fast, and he's um, he's uh, well. It's he, he's unpredictable in a way. He's um, he's difficult to sort of. Uh, um, to stop for a defender because you never know quite a hundred percent what he's going to do in every situation. He's he's um, he's, he's good. I think it's uh, exciting prospect for home fan. I don't think he will be there for too long either. Um, if he can keep on scoring goals at this rate, he'll he'll definitely be gone next summer. I think that he'll be there, well, obviously this season. He might well be there for another season after that. I believe that he wants to keep stepping up the footballing ladder and where a better place to do it than, than here in vain. Um, Paul, oh. thank you very much for joining me. We've discussed plenty in this podcast, um, from the Europa League games to Arda Den Haag to Daniel Marlin and much more besides. So, yeah, thanks for joining me and we hope to get you back on the podcast really soon. Thanks for having me on. And if you are listening to us at the end of this podcast, well done for getting here, uh, make sure that you're liking and subscribing wherever you are. And we have plenty more coming up for you in the coming weeks and months on Football Anya, so 
Stay tuned to all of our platforms. Thanks for listening. Get it back up! Get it back up! Bezzi, yeah! 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 Yeah!